So the Bible reading today is from um, Book of Acts, chapter 13. We'll be reading most of the chapter, starting at verse 1. So Acts, chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So, um, so after they had prayed and fasted, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They travelled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the Law and the Prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Saviour Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for. But there is one coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. 
the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out what was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will be never subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what happened to the, what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying, and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it, and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvations to the end of the earth. Thank you, Laura. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you this morning. Uh, Wonderful to be getting into this part of Acts. I want to kick straight into it by talking to you about mission statements um, up there on the screen. So I'm sure you're all familiar with what a mission statement is. Um, The place where you work will probably have a mission statement. Some people even have their own personal mission statements. It really tells us what is vitally important to this organisation, this company, or your personal mission statement is what you consider to be what your life uh, is ultimately about. Uh, They say, if you want to write a really good mission statement, um, here are the two questions you've got to answer. What is the problem you are seeing in the world? And then secondly, what are you intending to fix? So that's what's encapsulated in a mission statement. Let me give you some examples. Uh, As we think about God's mission this morning, there are lots of missions in the world. Coca-Cola's got a mission. Uh, Now here it is, our mission is to refresh the world in mind, body and spirit, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness through our brands and actions. So you just thought it was a drink, didn't you? (laughs) 
but it's not. It's going to change the world. It's going to bring optimism and happiness. Um, that's what Coca-Cola are absolutely serious about. And you notice the um, bottles there are all in different languages. This is a worldwide mission uh, that Coca-Cola are on. Have a look at another one, Apple. Apple designs Macs, the best personal computers in the world. That's all they do, so they think. Um, that is what they're good at. That's what they want to see happen. Uh, the, the mission statement's bigger than that. You know, I think they want to see it in every home. Um, that's what Apple does. That's, everyone in the company is focused on that one goal. Have a look at Nike's. To bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And just in case you think it's too narrow, if you have a body, you're an athlete. That's what the general manager said. He didn't want anyone to be confused. We're after everyone. Uh, if you've got a body, you're, you're an athlete, and Nike is right behind you. Now, there are some personal mission statements. Here's one from Walt Disney. Very simple. His whole life was about to make people happy. That was his personal mission statement. Uh, not, not even just the Walt Disney Company, uh, but his personal mission, to make people happy. Oprah Winfrey, to be a teacher, to be known for inspiring my students to be more than they thought they could be. That's an admirable mission statement, uh, to teach people, to inspire them. Or Elon Musk, this is a really interesting one. If, someone, if something is important enough, you should try, even if the probable outcome is failure. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's just something, if it's right, if, it, if I'm convicted, then I've got to push through, even if it doesn't look like we're going to succeed. That's, that's his mission. That's his goal. He's determined. Well, I wonder what you'd say about your personal mission statement. What's your life about? Um, what's the, the thing you do, uh, what encapsulates it all. Uh, so we're going to come back to that at the end and think about what that might be. And what do you think God's mission is in the world? What do you think God is doing even today? Uh, if you were to articulate that in one sentence, what would you say? What would you say God is doing in the world today? This is what I hope you'd say. God's mission is to save sinners. Do you agree with that? That's what God does. That's what God loves to do. Uh, that's what God's whole plan of salvation is about. He is about saving sinners. What's the problem with the world? The problem with the world is people out of relationship with God, lost, facing the judgment of God. Uh, what is he doing? He's rescuing them. He's forgiving them. He's saving them to be his very own people. And let me just paint the picture of how we know that very briefly. It's all over the scripture, isn't it? But we know it from God's heart, don't we? Uh, passages like 2 Peter 3, God is patient. So he's, he's actually holding off the judgment. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Or Luke uh, tells us in his gospel, why did Jesus come? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. There's the mission statement for Jesus. Where are the lost? I've come to seek them out. It's at the very heart of God to save sinners. It's actually all over the Old Testament too, isn't it? Uh, it it's God uh, pouring his grace upon a nation, Israel, uh, that 
Israel might be uh, a blessing, a light to the nations. Uh, Israel were meant to be the light to the nations, Isaiah 49, but they actually failed. Jesus is the light, isn't he? Jesus is the true Israelite where Israel failed. Uh, Jesus is the suffering servant. That's where all the plans of God come together. Uh, Jesus, the one who's on mission, calling people into that mission, uh, his disciples and his apostles and ultimately us, to be that light uh, out into the world. Uh, we've even seen it here in Acts, haven't we, in Saul's conversion very clearly. He grabs Saul, he says, you are going to be my instrument in the world, uh, a light to the Gentiles. And as we come to Acts 13 and 14, what we're going to see is the unfolding of this saving plan. Uh, as God promises to save sinners, to bring that light of the gospel from Jerusalem to the Gentiles uh, and out to the nations. Uh, it just, just remind, let's just remind ourselves, remember Luke 24, Jesus said, this is the program. Uh, three things, the Messiah will suffer, the Messiah must rise from the dead, the second thing uh, on the third day. And then thirdly, what must happen? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. We're reminded of it in Acts chapter 1. Uh, we, we had this uh, reminder last week. I think there's a verse on the screen there. We flick to the next one. Uh, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. He says that to his disciples in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what do we see here in Acts chapter 13? It's actually, the, the gospel has been going up, out up to chapter 13. What's happening in Acts 13? What's different? Well, it's actually the first missionary journey. It's the first purposeful missionary journey from Paul and his companions. The first record we have of a church sending people out uh, with the gospel. The first missionaries, if you like, the first uh, church plants. Uh, it's an exciting time for the, for the uh, early church. So open up your Bibles to Acts 13. Uh, let's have a look at the details together. It's a, it's a long chapter, but we're going to move fairly quickly through it. And I want you to see two things this morning. The first thing I want you to see, I want you to see how serious God is uh, in saving the world. How serious he is about his mission. I want you to see that. And secondly, we're going to see the character of this mission. Uh, yes, this is a unique mission with Paul the Apostle. Uh, but there's actually, this is a mission that continues to this day. I think that's the nature of Acts. Uh, we're going to see what is the shape of how God does mission with us and even through us. Uh, and that'll be really helpful uh, for us here on the coast. So Acts 13, it's a long chapter. Uh, but essentially, what is Luke doing there for us? He's describing the mission, isn't he? He's giving us lots of details, uh, people who are involved, places uh, that they visited, responses, uh, how people responded to the gospel. He's giving us also an insight into the message. So we actually got Paul's, did you notice that? There's a whole speech there, a whole sermon that Paul preached. And so we pick up what was actually said uh, when Paul proclaimed the word of God. Did you notice it's, it's a record? It's actually a history. It's like the Gospels, isn't it? Uh, it reads as a plain account of actually what happened. 
It's not, a, it's not a myth, it's not a fable, it's not an opinion of Luke, the writer. He's actually setting out, here is what took place uh, in this first missionary journey. So let's go to the slide here. The map is helpful, I think, if you're not familiar with the places. It all starts in Antioch on the far right. Uh, so we're, in, we're north of Jerusalem, we're in the Mediterranean Sea. It's a beautiful mission, beautiful part of the world. Anyone been to the Mediterranean, cruised around? So Paul's going to be doing some sailing, but it's going to also have some difficulties. It's uh, modern-day Turkey at the top, Asia Minor, uh, that kind of region. So the church, uh, verses 1 to 3, is in Antioch, is praying and fasting, worshipping the Lord. And they send out Saul, uh, who's also known as Paul, don't be confused by that. And also with him is Barnabas, and also with them is is, uh, John Mark. Uh, to do the work of the Lord. There they are. Uh, we've met Paul. Uh, used to be called Saul. He was called in chapter 9 uh, to take the gospel, as we said, to the Gentiles. Uh, Barnabas, uh, we met in Acts chapter 4. I don't know whether you remember Barnabas. He was originally called Joseph, but the apostles called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What a great name. Uh, wouldn't you like to be called just be called encouragement. Uh, we need more Barnabases. Uh, and it's not hard to work out why Barnabas is an encouragement. He's a, f- a genuine supporter of the mission. Uh, so in Acts chapter 4, he sells property and he puts the proceeds towards the mission of the apostles. Uh, so he is serious uh, about God's mission. And in chapter 11, from chapter 11 onwards, he's actively involved in organising the mission, he, he, gathering People uh, are partnering with Paul, and he's even serious enough that he's going to go himself. John Mark is also with them, uh, possibly uh, Mark the Evangelist, the writer of Mark's Gospel. So there's three key players here, and who knows how many others are setting out uh, into the Mediterranean on this first mission. They head down the coast to Seleucia, and then they sail to the island of Cyprus, as I said, beautiful part of the world, but first century Cyprus was apparently known for its sorcery. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know whether it was because it was an island, they, what they got away with out there. Um, Paphos is where they go on to, and Paphos is where they meet a Jewish sorcerer named Bar-Jesus who, who gives them grief when the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, is converted. So he's an intelligent man, he wants to hear the gospel, uh, he wants to give this message a hearing uh, and he's converted Uh, now it's it's one of those parts of acts like lots of parts you can pick these up these details up yourself where it's actually historically verifiable Uh, he was a real person a uh, a leader in the roman empire uh, under the emperor Uh, he's an inscription with his name on it uh, which they've found uh, in modern day turkey from paphos they sail to perga so they go up Uh, to modern-day Turkey. John Mark uh, heads back to Jerusalem. Uh, John Mark gets a hard time uh, because it's like he he gutted out of the the mission. We don't actually know. I don't think it tells us here in Acts why he went back. It could have been for very noble and good purposes. Uh, But he heads home. Paul and Barnabas keep going uh, to Poseidon, Antioch, a different Antioch, and that's where we have Paul's sermon. And chapter 13 ends with them fleeing to Iconium. 
And so it's hard to work out whether they, that is actually part of the journey, original plan, or whether they've, they've just been pushed there because of persecution. Um, and nevertheless, they preach the gospel there, and, and, and on to in chapter 14, they receive death threats. As a result, they move on to Lystra and Derby. Those two towns get to hear the gospel because Paul and Barnabas are pushed there. Uh, in Derby, uh, the Jews incite a crowd who drag Paul out of the city where he's stoned uh, within an inch of his life. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a tough mission. But with great courage, he heads back to Derby. He retraces his steps in the sovereignty of God. Uh, on the way back, he's able to encourage all the brothers and sisters who've been converted, uh, the churches that have been planted. Ultimately, he sails back to Antioch, uh, and there the first mission is complete. Would you have liked to have been on that mission? There's some challenges along the way, isn't there? Uh, it's not necessarily what we think about mission today, but what, are we, what is God teaching us about mission? Uh, well, I've got four questions I think Luke is answering for us. Firstly, whose mission is it? What's the method of the mission? What's the message of the mission? And what's the response of the mission? So you might want to take some notes on your outline. We're going to step through those, those questions as we learn. What is God teaching us? So firstly, what do you reckon? Whose mission is Luke telling us this mission is? Now you could, you could easily say it was Paul's mission, couldn't you? Paul's in charge. He is the apostle. He's been given the command to be the instrument, the light to the Gentiles. Uh, or at least it's Paul and Barnabas' mission, isn't it? Barnabas has got to get some credit because he's the able assistant. Or you, you might even say it's the church at Antioch. I mean, I reckon the church in Antioch, um, they'd been praying, um, they'd been supporting, um, they, were, they were very keenly interested in how this mission went. But actually, Luke wants us to see that it's God's mission. Have a look at verse 2. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Or verse 4, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia. Or in verse 9, how does Paul rebuke Elymas? It's actually through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in, later on in verse 48, I think it is, even those who respond to the work of the gospel... Uh, God has preordained, has readied, and they've come forward. And so Luke, I think, is telling us, actually, it's God's mission. It's brought about by his spirit in acting this mission through people. And it's one of those strange things, isn't it? Who sent them out? The church at Antioch sent them out. Who sent them out? The Holy Spirit sent them out. It's actually God working through people, isn't it? It's not God's mission, he'll do it without us. Neither is it us doing it without God. God is actually using real people to bring his gospel out to the ends of the earth. And it's what what we've been told all along, isn't it? Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples, go and do it. And I will be with you to the end of the age. See, Uh, Jesus promised his spirit uh, in John's gospel and in Acts chapter 1. I'll send uh, my spirit and you'll be my witnesses. So God working 
by his spirit through people. We've got to keep remembering that as we think about mission. And I wonder whether that's what the way you think about mission. Because there's two dangers, isn't there? One is uh, God will do it. Uh, and God can do it without us, which he can. Uh, and yet he's chosen uh, to do it through us. And the other danger, of course, is I will say it's all up to me. Uh, that in an ungodly way I'll think, I need to rescue people. I need to save people. No, no, God is the one who does that. Uh, God is the one who's in charge of the mission. It affects our prayers too, doesn't it? Um, so often where it's great to pray for my neighbour, for my friend, for my family member. I think that actually shows us that we, God is in control. It's his mission. And yet sometimes we actually need to remember that it might be us that God uses to reach the very person that we're praying for. Uh, This happens sometimes when people pray for countries. This is how missionaries have started their journey overseas, by praying for a country, uh, by praying for a people group, and then realising actually God is sending me uh, to go to that place to proclaim the gospel. What about God's method? Uh, what What do you reckon is God's method in bringing the mission about. Well, I reckon there's two things. The first thing is he sends people. Uh, It's kind of obvious. People actually go uh, with the gospel. Uh, God's mission involves people going. That's what the Great Commission says, doesn't go and make disciples. Uh, Paul, Barnabas and Mark actually go. They actually leave Antioch, they leave Jerusalem and they go on a journey. They leave home, they face all kinds of dangers, they give up all kinds of comforts to proclaim the gospel to people who desperately need to hear it. It's kind of integral to it, isn't it? We can take that for granted. Someone actually came to our country to proclaim the gospel. Um, All kinds of nations around the world uh, have received the gospel because someone actually went. Uh, Someone actually came to you to proclaim the gospel. Um, someone moved out of their comfort zone, um, gave up something of themselves to give the gospel to you. And I reckon there's a number of ways we can think about going. If I know that there is the going of the missionary overseas, and that's primarily how we think about mission. But let's just think about it a bit more broadly. So first of all, our mission partners have gone overseas, haven't they? That's quite clear. Um, they no longer live here. They've left... Uh, our country, or except for the Pearsons. So we've got Jeremy and Miri uh, in Kyrgyzstan about to leave. Matt and Lisa Pearson up in the Northern Territory uh, have left our state to go there. And Norm and Janelle Gorry in Northern Kenya. So very obvious examples of going with the gospel. But I reckon there's some other examples um, of us going. One is simply relocation, isn't it? Um, and again, I hope you, you take me graciously here even as we think about the Mears relocating uh, down to Meadowbank uh, for part two of their retirement in lovely Sydney, um, why are they going there? God is sending them there. People at Meadowbank need to hear the gospel. The church in Gladesville needs to be encouraged uh, so they can very easily think about their move as going with the gospel. Or even more fundamental to that, I think we can think about even where we live, going uh, to our neighbour, going across the street, going across the room, inviting that person, 
uh, not sitting in my world selfishly, but actually taking the gospel to someone else. That's worth thinking about, isn't it? Uh, in what way am I going uh, with the gospel? Uh, not, all, not all of us are going to go overseas. Uh, not, thankfully, not all of us are going to Meadowbank. Um, but we can all go uh, with that gospel. Now, the second thing about method, I reckon, is Paul is proclaiming the gospel. Um, so the method, method is to go, uh, and it's also to proclaim the word of God, isn't it? Paul is opening the scriptures, he's sharing the gospel, he's explaining the gospel, he's answering questions, he's showing people Jesus, he's proving that Jesus is the Christ, he's extending the invitation for people to put their faith in Jesus. Uh, it's, it's God doing his work, isn't it? Through his word. We know his word is powerful. We know he works through his spirit, through his word. And so what is the method? Open that word, reveal that message, explain, put before people plainly, unleash God's power through his word. Uh, that's what Paul's doing. Not hiding it, not, not changing it, but opening it up and proclaiming it. Uh, so have a look with me in verse 5. Uh, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. Uh, that was Paul's pattern. Verse 7, the proconsul wants to hear the word of God, and um, presumably that's exactly what Paul gave him. Or verse 16, we actually have a whole sermon from Paul as he unfolds the word of God in the Old Testament, brings it to light in, uh, in its fulfillment in Jesus. In verse 44, the whole city gathers to hear the word of God. Or verse 49, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. See, that's, that's the lifeblood of the mission. That's the power of God, that the word of God is going out, uh, that, is, that is having a hearing and having an effect. Now, I'm sure they did lots of other things, but there is the sharp end of the mission, isn't it? That's the sharp end of the mission today as well. That, that's how God actually convicts sinners. That's how he saves sinners as the word of God is brought to bear, the gospel is brought to bear in people's lives. So let me just say that we should never lose confidence in the word of God, never lose confidence in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. That is the power of God to change. That is how God actually does his work. Um, so let's not lose confidence in it and let's not do mission without it. Let's not leave the word of God behind. Um, that's the very means by which God will save people. Let's open it up with people. Let's explain it. Let's make it plain. Now, third, third question um, is, what's the message that is preached? Um, we get an insight into that in verse 16. We won't go through the whole sermon, you'll be pleased to know. Uh, but verse 16, have a look. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, fellow Israelites and the Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. There's, there's a great beginning of a sermon uh, what does he say? Well, he's, he goes through a whole catalogue of, of things that God has done in the Old Testament, doesn't he? He's speaking to Jews, reminding them of the promises of God, uh, and also Gentiles, that throughout history, what has happened? God has acted. Have a look through that sermon. It just keeps coming up. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors, uh, verse 17. He made the people prosper through their stay in Egypt. Um, God gave them judges uh, at the time of Samuel. Now, God continually acted in salvation history. And even opposition 
to God's action. Even as he comes to John the Baptist and Jesus and opposition and Jesus um, being put to the death sentence, doesn't stop God acting graciously to fulfill his plans and purposes for salvation. And it all culminates in the Lord Jesus, doesn't it? In God raising Jesus from the dead. Uh, verse, verse 38 is where the rubber hits the road. Here it is. Here's where it is at for both Jew and Gentile. Look at it with me. Therefore, he says, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. See the good news. God is bringing the good news. The message is good, good news. Very, very good news. What is it? You can be forgiven by God. You can be reconciled with your creator. You can have your slate wiped clean. Uh, there is nothing to pay. Jesus has paid it all. And he emphasises that everyone who trusts in Jesus, both Jew and Gentile, can receive the forgiveness of God. Uh, both the people who God first made his promises to and all of the nations now can receive this forgiveness of sins. You are set free, Paul says, from every sin. A justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. You can be set free from the guilt of sin, from the punishment of sin. And there, there is the good news, isn't it? There is encapsulated the very message of Christianity. There is, it's about freedom, isn't it? Freedom from sin, freedom from the condemnation of sin, freedom... I'm no longer captive to sin. I'm now free to love God and free to love other people. I'm no longer under the judgment of God. I'm actually reconciled with God. I no longer have to prove myself to God. I no longer have to work for my salvation. Uh, what the law was hopeless in doing, it just condemned me. I'm now free. I'm now forgiven. That is very, very good news, isn't it? That is at the, that's the centrepiece of the message that goes out to the world. That, that's the good news that God is getting out to every single person. And it's the message that we're proclaiming too, isn't it? That's the message. Forgiveness of sins in Jesus. Freedom in Jesus. And I've got to pause at this point and ask you, that's the message that's going out. But is that the message that you've heard? And, and is that the message that you've internalised yourself? Have you heard that from God, that you can be forgiven in Jesus? That your sins can completely be dealt with? Take that offer up. Receive forgiveness from God. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus, even today. It would be... Awful if, if we, that was the message that was going out from us all over the world. Uh, in, in some small way, we're contributing to that in the lakes, but we haven't actually internalised that ourselves. We haven't actually realised that that message is for me. I can be forgiven. I can have the confidence of knowing God. I am forgiven because of Jesus. Make sure you talk to someone about that today. Last question, what is the response of the mission? Well, it's a very varied response, isn't it? 
Um, We're actually warned by Paul at the end of this speech, be careful, you might miss the message. Uh, Don't be like the scoffers uh, that Habakkuk speaks about. You might miss this great news. And some people do, don't they? Uh, Both Jew and Gentile miss it. So the first response is obvious. It's not everyone accepts it. Uh, Not everyone loves Paul. In fact, some people want to kill him. Uh, There's fierce opposition to the mission, isn't there? Fierce opposition to hearing about Jesus and the forgiveness of sin. There's real persecution. Luke makes that very, very clear, doesn't he? Uh, Very clear that there is an enemy, the devil, who's disrupting, who's contradicting, who's opposing, uh, who actually even shows himself in real people. Elemas is trying to stop Sergius Paulus from becoming a Christian. Uh, and Luke calls it for what it is. That, that is the work of the devil. And yet God is bigger, isn't he? As, as, as Luke describes it, even that opposition to spreading the good news pushes Paul and Barnabas out to other towns so that others might hear about the, the, the great news of Jesus. Uh, so I wonder if, if you've got that big picture of God, firstly. Uh, and also the second response is faith, isn't it? Many people become followers of Jesus. Uh, Many hear the message of forgiveness, many trust in the Lord Jesus, many become disciples of Jesus, become part of God's family, churches are planted. What does that tell us? The gospel works, doesn't it? Some people will receive the gospel with great joy. Um, Paul says that later, doesn't he? For some, it is just the words of life they've been longing to hear. For others, it's the stench of death. Don't give up on the gospel. There is the power. God will use it. Some will come to faith. And that's how God is building his church, by his spirit. Now, as we, as we wrap up this morning, uh, there's a lot in that chapter. But have you seen how serious God is about reaching his world? As, as we un- unfold just one mission uh, in the book of Acts, how serious God is about saving sinners how he's using even us uh, to bring that message of forgiveness to the world. And are you convinced that's what we should be on about as well? Um, So here's our mission statement or vision statement at the lakes. We want Jesus' love and God's word to so fill us and overflow from us that everyone in our region has compelling reason to follow Jesus. Are you convinced on that? Is that what we should be about? Uh, We want God to do a deep, deep work in us. We are convinced. We we love God. We love the Lord Jesus. God's word has so filled us. We want that word, that gospel and that love to go out to our region so that others might come and hear about Jesus. Are Are you convinced that's what we should be doing as a church? There's lots of other things we could be doing. But is that at the centre? And more personally than that, uh, we flick to the last screen. How big is God's mission in your world, personally? Uh, if you were to write your own personal mission statement, would it encapsulate God's great plans and purposes to reach the world with the Lord Jesus? Um, do you believe God's mission is the most important thing going on in the world today? Uh, We all have hopes and dreams and aspirations. But do they actually come under God's big picture? 
of reaching the world for the Lord Jesus. So what's your mission? What, what would you say your life is about? In whatever circumstance God has placed you, wherever he's moved you, uh, what is your mission? Uh, is it God's mission? Are you on about the things that God is on about? Um, before we uh, take the Lord's Supper, and Ian's going to come up, we're going to pray for us to that end, uh, that we enlarge our vision and mission uh, to be like the Lord Jesus. So let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your heart uh, for the nations, uh, that you've sent the Lord Jesus, and that in his death and resurrection you've dealt with sin. Uh, forgiveness has been won and can now be given out as your gospel goes out to the world. Thank you, Lord, that has come to us. Please keep reminding us, even now, as we take the Lord's Supper, of what Jesus has done for us and the beautiful forgiveness of sins we've received. But Father, give us a big vision for how we might be part of this great mission of yours uh, to reach the world, uh, whether that be in other lands and other nations, whether that be in other parts of our country, uh, or whether that be even within our own families, uh, even within our own streets. Uh, Father, please strengthen us, uh, enlarge this vision in us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.